Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. When I think of donkeys, I think of two characteristics. They're dumb and they're stubborn. That's immediately what comes to mind. And I have evidence that they are not smart and they are willfully stubborn. First of all, I have evidence from the movie Shrek. If some of you watch that movie, there's the donkey, the voice by Eddie Murphy. And he comes across as clever, but a little slow and, yes, but not only do I remember Shrek and Donkey, which was his name, but I also remember the infamous partner of Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. But again, if you look at Eeyore, how he's depicted, he's depicted as being very slow, not quite having it all together, but a nice character, by the way. Well, this image that we have of donkeys has not always been this image. If we go back to the ancient Near East, we will find out thousands of years ago that they had a particular view of donkeys. Donkeys then were not seen as being stupid. They were not seen as being stubborn. Donkeys were actually viewed as being symbols of two very important things. Number one, donkeys were symbols of royalty. Royalty. And so in 1 Kings chapter 1, Solomon, when he is riding to his coronation, he comes riding on a donkey. The donkey and royalty belong together. But the other one that is really interesting about the symbolism of a donkey is that not only was it seen as being belonging to royalty, but it also was symbolic of peace. And so an individual who rode a donkey was coming in peace. You would not expect to see on a battlefield a bunch of donkeys. Instead, you would see stallions. But if you saw someone, especially a royal figure, riding a donkey, you could assume that they were coming in peace. They expected peace. Because if they needed to flee very quickly, the donkey was not the mode of transportation they chose. So what in the world do donkeys have to do with this story? Why does the writer, when he describes Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, why does the writer decide to bring on to the, the forefront a donkey? Well, I think part of the answer is found in those two symbols, royalty and peace. 
Now, in my mind, when I look at the story of the entrance into Jerusalem, and I compare all the different stories we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to me, there seems to be very good evidence that this is truly a story. Yes, Jesus did enter into Jerusalem. We know that to be true. But if Jesus came in this manner, and there were singing and celebration and the waving of palms and throwing branches on the ground and Jesus riding a donkey, there seems to be evidence to show that that itself was not a historical event. But what is important in this story is what the writer is trying to tell us about Jesus. I mean, think about it. These are individuals who some 50 to 60 years after Jesus' crucifixion are starting to write a story about Jesus. Stories that they could remember, but also stories that they created. Because you would tell a story so that your audience would be able to relate and understand the meaning of the story. That's why... This story is so informative when it comes to the life of Jesus. They believed two things when they told this story. There was something royal about Jesus. And Jesus was all about peace, nonviolence. And the world in which Jesus lived at that time that was unheard of. In many ways, I can imagine in my mind that the Jews of that day under the oppression of the Romans were always on edge wondering what might be coming next. When might there be a violent outbreak, either from fellow Jews or from the Romans themselves? We are fortunate that we live in a country where that is not our reality, but it was theirs. And that's why I think the story that we find in Matthew, the writer tells it in such a way that we are to remember, if we were those ancients then, we would remember a text that Matthew quotes. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, the writer says that these events took place through in order to fulfill the words of the prophet, and then he quotes the prophet. And it comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And again, it says the following, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold your king. Do you get it? Behold your king, royalty. Behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. Those two words, they appear. Royal and gentle. And then the writer of Matthew does not quote the next verse. 
But the next verse is so essential, not only to understand Zechariah chapter 9, but also to understand Matthew chapter 21 and the way that Matthew describes Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Notice what Zechariah chapter 9 verse 10 says. I, the coming one, the Messiah, will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and I will cut off the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off. Notice three things that will be cut off. A chariot, a horse, not a donkey, and a bow. Instruments of war. And the becoming Messiah would come as royalty and would come in peace and would destroy those instruments of war. So now imagine some 50 to 60 years later, after the crucifixion, these individuals are reflecting on the life of Jesus and they say, what are some of the most important things that people must understand about Jesus and the movement that he was trying to establish. What are those? And they chose peace. They highlighted peace. And not only do they say that Jesus comes in peace, but they demonstrate it in the story itself by having Jesus ride a donkey. Jesus was about nonviolence. For many of us, peace is just simply that, no violence. But for Jesus, it was more than that. It was a frame of mind. It's how you lived your life. It's how you walked among other people. Jesus saw peace coming from and rooted in a deep sense of love for other human beings. Think about that. Jesus had the ability to look at all these variety and diverse groups of people, from the poor to the religious to the Romans themselves. And he saw the connection. And when you realize that you are connected with all human life, to hurt another human being is to hurt yourself. That's what Jesus talked about, was peace. Rooted in love. been 2,000 years now. In some ways, it would be very easy to say, eh, at least Jesus had a dream. Think about, over the last 2,000 years, what human beings have done to each other. Yeah, we have moments of peace, 
But right now, it feels like we're living in a world that is on this edge, wondering which way it might teeter and fall. Think about Ukraine. You know, there are people in Ukraine in a war zone who are still delivering babies, still marrying, and even dying. Functioning as human beings in the midst of chaos and violence. And it makes you wonder if Matthew got it wrong. I think about this last week and what happened in Nashville. Another shooting. I hope we never get callous toward those. Three children, three adults died. Where's the peace in that? Politically, Individuals are positioning themselves in such a way that they are slowly beginning to stir the pot in the angst within us as citizens of this country. Threatening that if things don't go in their direction, threatening that acts of violence will follow. So, Matthew, what was the reason? Why did you tell us Jesus walked in on a, mounted on a donkey, emphasizing Jesus as a person of peace? Come on, Matthew. 2,000 years later, it's not even close, it appears, to happening. I could stand here and try to make you feel guilty, try to make you do and dream about having worldwide peace or peace in our country or peace in our state. Let's even draw it back and say peace in our city. If I did that, it would be futile. Because the possibility of you and I changing our world and even our city to have true peace is very unlikely. But we must not forget that Jesus rode in on a donkey. That is so important for us to remember, Matthew says. And so while we may not be able to change the world or our city on a macro level and bring about peace, while we may not be able to do that, what we can do, and dare I say what we must do, is have peace and nurture peace within ourselves. The only way 
that Jesus's and then Matthew's dream of a world of peace, the only way we even have a prayer of that ever happening is by each and every one of us believing in and bringing into our lives a sense of peace. And I'd like to offer you just three simple ways that this week you could try to live in a sense of peace, inner peace, that will manifest itself in the way that you talk and act and treat other people. Number one, accept yourself. Now, you know, that's pretty simple. But man, it's hard. Accepting your strengths and accepting your weaknesses. The things that you battle in your own life the things that create a sense of angst and unsettledness because we just can't wrap around our minds that that is a part of who we are. As long as you're fighting a battle inside of yourself with yourself, you'll never have peace. And if you want to change yourself, you must first accept yourself. Which means you have to accept those things in your life that are in the shadow, that are set aside, that no one else may never see. But you know where they are. Inner peace begins by accepting who you are. Number two, love rather than control. Love rather than control. We like, no, we relish in trying to control each other. If I see you doing something, if I hear you saying something, if I see you acting in a particular way that perhaps I don't care for, the temptation is to control you, to fix you so that my problems are they're gone. We enjoy trying to control other people. We do it all the time. Through our words and through our actions. But that does not create a sense of inner peace. In fact, it does just the opposite. Anytime you try to control another person, you are exerting your power over them. 
And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I don't want people to tell me what to do, especially if they don't know what it is I should do. I don't, at times in my life, appreciate people exerting power over me. I bristle at it. But if we are to have a sense of inner peace with ourselves and others, then we must set aside the desire to control and get other people to conform to what we think is right. And instead, we ought to love each other. And one of the main reasons why we want to control each other is because we can't accept ourselves. And if I can't accept me, then I sure can't accept you fully. If I can't love myself, it makes it really difficult to try to love you. And remember, peace is rooted in love. And if we are going to have inner peace and it's going to transform us and impact other people, we must love each other. A woman by the name of Nicolette Tura, who has her master's in sociology, says the following to us. Trying to control people is about seeking to impose your will and reality on others. But by doing so, even with the best intentions, this forcing your will on others takes away the power from others and causes a great imbalance which can lead to anger, hurt, and resentment. Number three, moderate. <laughs> Today in our country, we sure know our directions, don't we? We know what is right, and we know what is left. And we love putting people either on the right or on the left. And we have media and politicians who are more than willing to help us decide who belongs where. Where's the moderate anymore? Where's the person in the middle? Where's the person who's willing to be open-minded and to be able to ask questions and to be able to reflect on different issues? Where's the moderates? You see, if you're on the right or you're on the left, it's a lot easier to not think about peace because if you're on the right, those people on the left, they're a long ways away. And if you're on the left, those people on the right, they're a long ways away. But if you're in the middle, 
you're a lot closer to both of them. Again, Nicolette Torah says, thinking in absolutes and holding to convictions without ever considering the viewpoints and perspectives of others is a certain way to live a life without peace. Perhaps you've heard the, the expression, I know what I believe, so don't bug me. I'm comfortable with what I believe is right. Don't bother me. That will not bring about a sense of peace in your sight, yourself, because you're not willing to hear and learn from other people. You know, Palm Sunday often gets overlooked in the rush to Easter. But it really reminds us of the essence of what Jesus was about. And if we dare call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, then we better take heed. Because Palm Sunday reminds us the essence of who Jesus was and why he ended up dead. He was a man who valued peace rooted in a deep sense of love for other people. Jesus never asked us to believe certain things. He did ask us to love ourselves and to love one another. I don't know about you, but one day on Palm Sunday, I'm going to get the courage and I'm going to ride that donkey. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.